Well, I want to welcome you to Alliance Christian Fellowship here this morning. I hope you all had a great week. For those of you who are returning from your fall retreats, welcome back. I trust and hope that your time away was a wonderful time of just connecting with the Father and connecting with your community of people. But uh, I am glad to see you back here today worshiping with us here in the hub. We're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount called The Kingdom Way, The Kingdom Way. And today we come to a topic in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that, uh, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but I am all too familiar with. I am all too familiar with. And today we come to the topic, the subject of anger, of anger. Now, some of us were angry yesterday, (laughs) uh, coming off of an excruciating loss. On, On a brighter note, our women's volleyball team whipped Nebraska's butt, and so praise God for that. God is good. He is still alive, and uh, he is moving. And uh, but uh, we come to this subject of anger, and I'd like to read together what Jesus has to say about anger. And so would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll get a Bible to you this morning. If you don't own a copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. We want you to be in the Word, reading the Word, and so you can uh, take this home with you if you don't own a Bible already. If uh, you're following along with us in these Bibles, we're on page 810. 810 is where we are. We'll also put the text up here on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up from verse 21, and we're going to carry it through to verse 26. And as we're reading this text, uh, we're, we're this remember, Jesus is in the middle of preaching his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's gone through a series of different topics and subjects already, and, we, and, and he spends some time here in this short pocket, this short window, talking about anger. And I'd like to read what he has to say to us here this morning. And so starting from Matthew chapter 5, picking up from verse 21, hear the word, of the Lord, this is what it says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, this is Jesus speaking, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Verse 26, truly I say to you, You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, friends, I don't know if you have ever been identified as an angry person. I don't know if you've ever been categorized as an angry person. I shared a little piece of, of this part of my life with, uh, with our folks at ACF this past midweek and uh, this past Wednesday night. But, but for me, I, I sort of grew up as an angry kid. I had an angry father, you know, who had a, had a short fuse, terrible temper, um, and, 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 you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. You know, I, I, was an, I was an angry kid in a lot of ways. I was moody. I was emotional. I was easily irritable. I mean, I, I, was, I was kind of a mess as a kid. And, and when I say kid, I mean from basically from fifth grade through middle school all the way through high school, and uh, even a little, little bit into college. I mean, I, I had to work some of this 
stuff out in college, but I was an angry kid. In fact, I, I remember I often walked through the hallways of my school with a scowl on my face. I never smiled. I, you know, I carried a chip on my shoulder. In fact, I was so angry, I wished people would bump into me just so I could start a fight. I mean, I was just that kid that was, I was ticked off, but no one bumped into me because, you know, like, crazy Asian Chinese kid. He probably knows Kung Fu. He's going to kick my butt. I ain't going to mess with him. You know, like I'm going to stay away from him. But I was angry. I was angry walking through the hallways of my school, going through life. I was, I was an angry kid. And you might be asking yourself, Dan, what were you so angry about? I don't know. I don't know what I was so angry about, but I do know that I was angry. Now, maybe you're here today and you can't possibly relate to me. <laughs> maybe your life was filled with sunshines and rainbows and potpourri, you know, like your, your life, your life actually smelled good. It was so good and happy and lovely, right? And, and, and so for you, maybe because your life didn't quite look like mine, you might be inclined to say, I didn't really have anger issues. I didn't really struggle with anger. I wasn't an angry person. And quite frankly, I'm not really an angry person today. And while your personality type might not lend itself towards anger, can I submit to you this this morning? We all, regardless of your personality type, we all deal with anger. We all deal with anger. It's not a matter of whether or not we get angry. That is not the question on hand here. The question is, what do we do when we get angry? You see, you might not identify yourself as an angry person, but the fact is, you do get angry. As long as you have a pulse in your body, you get angry. The question is, not whether you get angry or not, the question is, what do you do when you get angry? Now, if, if I can be so bold as to say, most of us, most of us, and, and if, if, if maybe even as just as a personal testimony of my life, most of us just don't know what to do with our anger, particularly for those of us who grew up in the church, Christians in the room. Let me just talk to you for just a quick minute. If you're not a Christian, if you don't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, may, just, just plug yourself out for a minute here. Christians in the room, for those of us who grew up in the church, those of us who grew up in Christian homes, there seems to be this implicit message within Christian circles that implies that a Christian ought not to get angry, right? We hear the words of Jesus saying things like, turn the other cheek, which in our minds equates, we shouldn't get angry, right? We shouldn't get angry. You know, we're told in the church by our Sunday school teachers, by our parents, just read your Bible, go to church and pray often, and all will be well. And so when we get angry, Many of us end up feeling guilty with our anger, and so we don't know what to do with this emotion in this, with our lives. So what do we do when we get angry? And so a lot of us, maybe, maybe you've been taught this, whether you've gone to church or not, you've been taught, hey, just, just stop. Don't, don't, don't get angry. Don't get angry. So we say, okay, we, we brush it under the rug. Right? I shouldn't get angry. Don't brush it under the rug. People don't like angry people. Brush it under the rug. Brush it under the rug. And so consequently, what we have is a generation of people living with unprocessed anger. And here lies the problem. In fact, this seems to be the driving message of Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in this passage. And this is our big idea for the day. Unprocessed anger kills. Real simple. Unprocessed anger kills. 
Now, if you look at the language that Jesus uses here in this passage, he, he correlates our anger with murder. He says something to the effect of, to be angry with someone is just as bad as murdering them. To which many of us would say, I don't think so, Jesus. I, don't th I think you might be exaggerating here. I know that sounds crazy at first, but Jesus lays out his, his thought process in the preceding verses. You see, the message of Jesus here is unprocessed anger kills. Well, how does it do that? It does it in three ways. Number one, unprocessed anger kills us. Unprocessed anger kills us. You know, for the longest time, whenever I would describe and explain anger to people, I would describe it in this way. Anger is like the check engine light of our soul. It's like the check engine light of our soul. You guys are all familiar with that light, right, that comes on, you know, on your dashboard, that check engine light. Some of you, you know, you, you have it come on. And, and, and here's, here's what, here's what this, this does. When this light comes on, that check engine light... We really have one of two options. You can either ignore the light, which many of us do. It's like, oh, a little like, light coming on. Cool. All right. Well, I'm just going to put a piece of tape over it and act like it's not there. I'm broke. I ain't got no money, so I'm not even going to address it. So check out. You put a tape on it, and you just keep on driving. You keep on driving. And if you were to do that, you might get a few more miles out of your car, but eventually... Somewhere down the road, things are likely to go horribly wrong for you. And I can testify to that. My first car, 1989 Honda Accord. It was a hand-me-down. My dad gave me this car to me as a senior in high school. I thought I was the coolest kid on the block. It had the headlights that went up and down. You know what I mean? Like, I, just, I would just sit in the driveway just playing with the headlights. I wouldn't even drive. I would just turn. And, 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 and one day, inevitably, that check engine light came on. I said, oh, look at that. You know, I just kept on driving, kept on driving. Turns out the check engine light was an indicator that I needed to change the oil to the car. I kept driving, kept driving, kept driving until the engine seized and the car was totaled. I said goodbye to my 1989 Honda Accord. I learned my lesson. Do not ignore the check engine light. It's pretty important. Now, some of us ignore the light and we just keep on driving. Others of us, and probably the smarter bunch of us, the other option is to pull over and open the hood of your car and look around and see what might be causing that light to come on. Or if you're like me, who know nothing about car, you don't know anything about cars, you bring it to someone who does know a thing or two about cars and you have them take a look under the hood and examine what might be causing that light to come on. You look under the hood. You see, because many of us don't know what to do with our anger, many of us default to the former. Many of us default to the former. We simply ignore the flashing lights on our dashboard and we keep on driving. We keep on carrying that anger around wherever we go until it blows up and wreaks havoc somewhere down the road along the our lives. And, and so you see, here's, here's my point. Anger, anger requires us. It requires us to open the hood of our lives and examine what's going on underneath. What is the deeper issue here? Because surely a little spilled juice on the counter should not be evoking this kind of volatile response within me. Right, this kind of, and I'm speaking out of personal experience. Like, what is the deeper issue here? There is something deeper going on here. And that's the whole point of what Jesus is trying to say here in this passage. In fact, if you were here with us last week, Jesus said something that was completely outrageous. 
get used to it. Jesus is going to say a lot of outrageous things throughout the course of his sermon. But last week, he says something that was completely outrageous. He said, your righteousness, remember this? If you were here with us, your righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. He he says, if your righteousness does not exceed the, the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you ain't got no chance to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you, you, you cannot be part of the kingdom of heaven if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, what he's saying, okay, what he's saying is, you, he's not saying you need to do more than the Pharisees. Remember, we talked about this last week. The Pharisees had 248 commandments, 365 prohibitions, all these rules and commandments that they followed and, 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 and lived by. Jesus wasn't saying, people of God, you need to do more than the Pharisees. No, that, that wasn't his message. His message was, you need to go deeper than the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees just, they lived on the bare minimum, living by the rules. They, they, you see, the religious leaders during that time were really good at keeping the law. You shall not murder. Check. Got that, Jesus. I'm good. Heck, most of us are good at keeping that law. We don't, we don't need help keeping that one, right? You shall not murder. Okay, Jesus, I got it. I'm pretty sure I don't need the the Holy Spirit's help on that one. I'm good all in the flesh not to murder. I don't need help on that one. But remember, Jesus wants to take us deeper. But I say to you, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Listen, folks, let me just clarify something here real quickly. Jesus isn't talking about name calling here with all this talk about insults and calling people a fool. He's not talking about name calling here. That's not the point of what Jesus is trying to get at. In fact, some of your translations might use the word raka, raka, Now, your verse might say, whoever says to another brother, Raka shall be guilty. Now, that word Raka, if you don't know, was the harshest form of insult you can heap on someone. And it wasn't because of what the word meant. It's not because of what the word translated to. It's because of what was behind the word. It was what was behind the word that made this the harshest form of insult you might heap on someone. You see the word Raka was used to express the deepest form of hatred and the most profound animosity that one might feel towards another human being. Jesus says, when this kind of word comes out of your mouth, it should serve as a check engine light to examine what's going on in your heart. Because this kind of hatred, this kind of animosity that you speak with your word, raka, should cause you to stop and examine and look under the hood. This kind of raka anger will kill your soul. In fact, he expresses that furthermore in the word that he uses for the word angry. Whoever is angry with his brother, right? That word angry that Jesus uses is his Greek word orgazomenos. Orgazomenos, right? I only use Greek to sound smart. I don't really know what it means, so I had to do a little research myself. Orgazomenos. Orgazomenos, that word, isn't just to, listen, it's not, Jesus isn't saying whoever gets bothered or gets ticked off or angered, you know, just whoever is momentarily irritated or annoyed with someone. That's not the word that Jesus uses here. The word that Jesus uses, orgazomenos, actually means to remain angry. It's not just to momentarily get bothered, like, oh, you know, like, I'm just so angry at this, and then I'll get over it, whatever. No, orgazomenos is a different kind of anger. 
It's the kind of anger where someone stays in that anger. Someone, someone remains in that anger. It's an ongoing type of anger. It's a perpetual anger. It's an anger that you might even care for and feed and nurse. That's a different kind of anger that Jesus is talking about here. It's sort of like digging yourself deeper and deeper into the seat of emotion. And Jesus says, when you are orgazomenos, you are locking yourself into this prison of bitterness and resentment that will ultimately kill you. Unprocessed anger kills us. It kills us. And so, folks, we cannot ignore the check engine light of our soul. We need to pop the hood and examine on a deeper level what is causing this anger. But would you know that unprocessed anger doesn't just kill us? Unprocessed anger also kills our walk with God. It kills our walk with God. Look at what Jesus says in the following verses here. In verse 23, he says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You want to know what Jesus is saying here? Your worship of God is only as good as your relationship with others. Your worship of God is only as good, is only as valuable, is only as acceptable as your relationship with others. The two are not mutually exclusive. The two are intimately tied together. He says, if there is anger residing between you and someone else, your worship is tainted to begin with. Don't even bother getting off the starting block because your worship is tainted to begin with. It's not pure worship. It's not the kind of worship that God our Father would find and deem as acceptable and worthy in his eyes. It is tainted. You see, most of us think and most of us have been bought into this notion that God will accept any kind of worship from us, right? As long as we're worshiping it, I mean, it doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. As long as I, it's, it's this vertical connection that I need to worry about God and me, me and God. And, and God doesn't care, right? He just wants to know that he's got my worship. Right? No, that's actually not true. In fact, for a long time, I bought into that notion as well. I just, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Doesn't matter I, as long as God has my worship. In fact, if you look back in an Old Testament story in 1 Samuel 15, there's a bit of an odd story. You don't need to turn there. Here's the Cliff Notes version of the story. There's a story of a, of a king, the king, uh, king uh, his name was King Saul, and Saul was sent on a mission by God to destroy the evil Amalekites. Who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were a nation, a neighboring nation, who, who oppressed and stood against the nation of Israel. They were an evil nation who, uh, who were an oppressive power, an oppressive nation over God's nation, over God's holy people. And God gave specific instructions to King Saul to go and destroy the Amalekites, to go and destroy the nation of uh, the Amalekites, even down to the livestock. He said, I want them all destroyed. But Saul decided to keep some of the livestock so, that he can offer them up as an offering to God. Sounds good, right? I mean, he's going for the extra credit point there, right? Like, I mean, like, that sounds good. He, he kept some of the livestock because his heart wanted to worship God and ex exalt the holy God and, 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 and offer them up as a, as a burnt offering. Sounds noble, right? Sounds worthy. Well, not entirely, 
You see, soon after this event, God comes to Saul through a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel says to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, does God desire your worship or your obedience? Does God want your worship or your obedience? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. It's like, Dan, that's, that sounds like a setup. That sounds like a trick question. Is there an option C, like all of the above? Because I'm not really sure how to answer that one because it's, I mean, as long as I've been following God, it seems like God wants both my worship and my obedience. Does God want our worship or our obedience? Well, the answer follows. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, to, and to listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. You see, what God was saying to Saul was your worship is tainted because you fail to obey. Similarly, in the New Testament, Jesus says, your worship is tainted because you failed to reconcile. You see, when we have unreconciled anger in our lives, our worship is tainted to begin with. Our worship of God is affected. It's impacted by our unprocessed anger. Our anger impacts our worship of God. And if you're trying to sit here and deny that to be true, I want you to just think back on the last time you came to church after a fight with a friend, after a roommate, little debacle, after, after a fight with your significant other or your boyfriend or your, your girlfriend or a fight with a family member, and you come into church and you're trying to worship, but you come in like this, tongue pouting, you know, lips pouting and arms folded, and you're just strutting your stuff, and you're like, Man, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm in church, but I ain't going to engage. I'm in church. I'm going to sit here. I don't care if the worship team plays my favorite song. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to worship. Heck, God can come and try to prime my arms up and out, but he ain't going to find any luck here because you know what? I am set on being orgazominos. I wonder if some of you have been there. Those of you who are, who are not laughing, I'm, I'm talking to you. You're, you're like, I'm set on being orgazominos. I, I, I'm set. And, and you know what? To make matters worse, you look over. And that friend, that roommate, that boyfriend or girlfriend that you, you were just in a fight with, they got their hands raised, they're worshiping, they're pouring their love song out to Jesus, and, and they're just in the moment, they're engaged, and you're sitting there, you catch a glimpse of that, and your response is, oh, oh, you know, that, that, what a fraud, what a, what a hip of God. I hope you're not listening to their praises, because I, I know they're saying love songs, but you should have heard what was coming out of their mouths just a few moments ago. To me, you know, I don't, I, and you're just orgasmos, you're ticked off. And you're trying to tell me that your anger has no effect on your worship of God, your connection to the heart of Jesus, your walk with your heavenly father. Friends, I would be hard-pressed to believe that. I would be hard-pressed to believe that for a moment. That's why Jesus says, hey, work out your anger before you come to offer your worship at the altar because your unprocessed anger will kill your walk with God. It will. So we see that our unprocessed anger kills us. It kills our walk with God. But last but not least, and perhaps most obviously, our unprocessed anger kills our relationships. It kills our relationships. 
Jesus gives us one final picture here in this passage as he wraps up this section of, of scripture. He moves from the altar to the court. He addresses our vertical connection, our offering at the altar, and then addresses our horizontal connection, our accuser at the court. Jesus says in verse 25, come to terms quickly. Hold that term in the back of your minds, all right? Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus is playing out the worst case scenario here, the worst possible case scenario, and he says, the way to avoid that is to deal with your anger quickly. Don't sit on it. Don't, don't procrastinate on this. If you're going to procrastinate on anything, fine, your schoolwork, your assignments, whatever, that's not, what, but, but when it comes to anger, do not procrastinate on this. Deal with it quickly because it will kill your relationships. You see, Jesus is addressing a sense of urgency here. Can I speak some truth? Many of us, when we're angry, we don't really feel a sense of urgency to deal with our anger. There's not a sense of urgency like, I, I got to deal with this anger quickly and now. We rarely ever feel the urgency to deal with our anger in a timely fashion. Instead, most of us, if you're like me, in fact, this is where I fall in. This is the category that I fall in. Most of us, we stuff our anger. We try to keep it down. But how many of you know, whatever you stuff seems to always come back up. And some of you heard me give the illustration of the analogy of a beach ball, right? You, you, try to, you ever try to stuff a beach ball down underwater, right? In fact, the bigger the beach ball, the harder it is to keep that ball down underwater. The larger your anger is, the more significant, the deeper your anger resides and, and, and has its roots in your life, the harder it will be to keep your anger stuffed down. That beach ball, I promise you, no matter how hard you try to keep it down, will pop up somewhere. Uh, somewhere. It, it might pop up behind you. It might pop up in front of you, knock you in your nose, to your left, to your right. I promise you, no matter how hard you try to stuff that beach ball down, it will come up. No matter how hard you try to stuff your anger down, it will manifest somewhere down the road, somehow. Now, some of us, we're not stuffers. We're spewers. For some people, when they get angry, you just want to stay far away from them because they go on a rampage. You, know, you might know some people like this. You might be one of those where like when you get angry, man, ain't nothing you holding you back. It's like Conor McGregor. You know, you're just like, hold, no, don't hold me back. I, I'm, I'm on. And you just spew, you spew, you spew with every rocka word that comes out of your mouth, right? The, these spewers are, are people who end up slandering people and tearing people down with their words. And that's how they deal with their anger. I'm not condemning them. I'm not, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying that's how some of us deal with our anger. Some of us are stuffers and some of us are spewers. And might I add, those are two terrible options for dealing with our anger. The only viable alternative is to process your anger in a quick and healthy manner. You know, th th this makes me think of a common wedding advice. You hear this advice given to newlywed couples all the time, right? How, how many of you heard this marriage advice before? Don't ever go to bed angry. All right, some of you have been to a bunch of weddings before and people giving toasts and speeches and all kinds of advice, you know, like to, to the newlywed couple. Don't ever go to bed angry. Well, angry. We all heard that advice given before. My wife and I, you know, we, we've been given that advice plenty of times. 
And, you know, we haven't, you know, abided by that rule perfectly. You know, there have been times when we've gone to bed angry. But here's where that concept comes from. It comes from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, you don't have to turn there. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. When Paul says, be angry, be angry. Interesting way to start a verse in the Bible. Be angry and do not sin. Just hold it right there. Let me just clarify if I didn't do so already. It is not sinful to be angry. Angry is one of the many emotions that we feel as human beings. In fact, God feels anger. And that anger can be a real powerful emotion used for good if we allow it. And in fact, there, there's a thing called righteous anger. There are things that we look at, at the injustices of our world. And if it doesn't anger you, friends, I would ask you to examine your soul. There are things in our world, the injustices in our world that should anger you. Children being sold into sex traffic in the sex trafficking industry, that should anger you. That should anger you. Women who are treated poorly and unjustly, who are, who are taken advantage of, that should anger you. Racial hostility and animosity, that should anger you. Anger is not sinful. To be angry is not sinful. But again, as I said earlier, what we do with our anger is paramount. And that's where Paul continues and says, do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And he goes on, and this is where we get that age-old marriage advice. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed angry. Translation, right? Now, notice the sentence doesn't end there. I don't know if your translation has this, but mine has a, has a comma, which means that there is a secondary thought to follow, right? It's interesting how we don't hear this part in the marriage advice that are giving to newlywed couples. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, comma, next verse, and give no opportunity to the devil. Friends, the reason why we must not let the sun go down on our anger, the reason why we must deal with our anger quickly is because the longer our anger simmers, the more likely the devil will have something to work with. The more, the longer we let it stew, the more likely we are to sin. Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Friends, I wonder if we feel this sense of urgency when it comes to dealing with our anger. Because you ought to know, our unprocessed anger kills our relationships more quickly than you may realize. Now, as I, as I try to land this plane here this morning, uh, I want to end by giving you some real practical steps because I realize we talked a lot about our unprocessed anger, which means that there is a way to process our anger, right? Our unprocessed anger, if our unprocessed anger really kills us, our walks with God and our relationships in our lives, how do we process our anger in a quick and healthy manner? I just want to give you just a few quick steps and then we'll wrap up our time here. How do we process our anger? Now, let me just say this. This isn't the only way. This isn't the only way. This isn't like the fail-proof way of how to deal with our anger. But if some of us are in this room and, and, and you're saying, Dan, I've got some real anger issues. Can you help me? Give, 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 me some, give me some first steps even on how to process some of this stuff. Well, number one, you've got to identify the root. You've got to identify the root. Listen, anger is a secondary emotion, which is why I always identify anger as the check engine light. That check engine light should lead you 
to open the hood of your car and to look underneath the hood, which means that oftentimes there is something deeper going on in your soul when you are angry. And so you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to the root of your anger. Holy Spirit, would you lead me? You lead me to truth, your word tells us. And so God, would you lead me by the leading of your Holy Spirit? Lead me to the root of my anger. Now, oftentimes, let me just say this, your anger will derive from one of two places. And it's not the only two places, but it's two of the most common places that your anger will be uh, uh, coming from. And that is a place of personal worth or essential need. Personal worth or essential need. In other words, you may be angry because your personal worth was violated. Some way, somehow. In other words, when you feel rejected, disrespected, disregarded, or invalidated as a person, your natural response will be to become angry because it's a violation of your personal worth. Uh, on the other hand, it, it might come from a place of an essential need. Uh, an essential need in your life wasn't met in the ways that you felt like it should be. You had a certain expectation of your need being met in this way. Perhaps, you know, just a bunch of you guys live with other people. Perhaps you have a need. You know, let's take something as common as orderliness, right? You're like a neat freak. And so like you, you, but you don't live with a bunch of neat freaks, right? And so you have this need for orderliness. And oftentimes, you know, as you're going through, through your life, you're, when your roommate lives like a slob, your basic need is not being met. And so you become angry every time you see that, uh, you know, that, that unclean bowl on the counter or you get ticked off when you see stuff spread across your living room floor. You get ticked off when, when it's like, well, I, how come this isn't done, roommate? Like, there's a, there's a need that's not being met there. And oftentimes, your anger can be traced back to one of those two places, your personal worth but being violated or your personal need or expectation not being met. And so again, if anger is a secondary issue, you've got to get to the root of the cause. And the Holy Spirit is more than capable of taking you there, of leading you there and showing you what the cause is, what the root is. And so number one, identify the root. Number two, examine your self-talk. Examine your self-talk. Oftentimes, these imaginary conversations that you have in your head will be highly revealing and exposing of what the root problem is. Listen, if your self-talk keeps revolving around a particular person, you have these imaginary conversations with these people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's these conversations you would never dare to have in real life, but you're like, oh, if I could. Oh, if I, and you just have these imaginary conversations, right? You know what I'm talking about? If your self-talk keeps revolving around a particular person, around a specific situation or a moment, oh, if I could go back to that moment, I would have done that. Or I would have said that, or I would have showed them that. Once you go there, you can ask yourself the question, was my personal worth violated or what unmet need or expectation is causing this angry response? You see, sometimes by listening to your self-talk, you might realize just how silly and stupid this situation actually is. And sometimes you might even be able to talk yourself right out of that anger. You know, it's like, okay, I shouldn't have blown up on my kid when he, didn't, when he accidentally knocked, you know, his plate and, and dropped some food on the ground. He wasn't trying to be a pain. He wasn't trying to be difficult. He was just being six, <laughs> you know? That's it. Like, that's, and, and, and when you take a moment and you stop and you listen to your self-talk, you know, and say, okay, that was silly. I shouldn't have responded like that. You can move on and move out of, of your self-talk. But sometimes, sometimes you might discover that there is some deep pain embedded in your self-talk. There's some deep pain embedded in your self-talk. And that's where we need to move to number three. And that is to invite Jesus into the moment. 
invite Jesus into the moment because there may be moments of anger that only Jesus can lead you out of. Can I just say that again? There are some moments of anger that you just can't talk yourself out of. I get that. I've been there. I've seen red. I've seen anger. I've seen rage. And it's like, ain't nothing going to get me out of this place but Jesus leading me out of this place. Some moments of anger, only Jesus can lead you out. And so invite your divine healer into that moment of pain. And this is as simple as praying a simple prayer. Jesus, would you minister to me in this moment? Nothing would delight Jesus more than to meet you in that moment of pain. Some of us just don't go there because we don't want Jesus involved. Some of us want to stew. Some of us would rather be orgazomenos, remaining and stewing in our anger. But invite Jesus into the moment so that we can walk in freedom and walk in liberty. And invite Jesus, invite Jesus, would you speak your kingdom truth here? Because the fact of the matter is, our self-talk has a tendency to feed us lies. How many of you know that, right? But the voice of Jesus always speaks that which is true. And so our self-talk might, might, might lead us astray, but the voice of Jesus leads us to truth. And so invite Jesus into the moment to help you process your pain. Invite Jesus into the moment. And then, number four, go and be reconciled. Go and be reconciled. I want you to notice that this step is intentionally after the previous one. Go Invite Jesus into the moment and then go and be reconciled. You see, it's important that Jesus ministers to you before you go and be reconciled because without an encounter with Christ, you may be inclined to just go and speak your mind as opposed to going and being reconciled. How many of you know there's a difference between just going off and speaking your mind and going and truly seeking reconciliation? Some of us just want to get it off our chest. That's not reconciliation. If you want to get it off your chest, the cross is waiting for you. The cross is more than sufficient to carry whatever's on your chest. Just, just, Jesus, I need to get this off my chest. And Jesus, then I need you to minister to me in this pain, in this moment of anger, in this moment of rage, so that when I go and be reconciled with this brother or sister, I can speak from a place of love. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. Go speak the truth in love. You can't speak the truth in love if all you're seeing is red. And so you need to invite Jesus into the moment and then go and be reconciled. So to truly walk in freedom, we need to take the proper steps of vulnerability and humility and say, come to this brother or sister and say, hey, I was really hurt by this. Can we talk about this? This really bothered me. And I think I know why. Can we talk about this? I, it's, it's time for us as, as sons and daughters of God to walk in maturity and greater maturity. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Invite Jesus into the moment and go and be reconciled. And then last but not least, commit to this new and better way. Commit to this new and better way. Refuse to allow yourself to handle your anger in ways that you always have. If you've been historically a stuffer, refuse to stuff. If you've been historically and, and, and most naturally a spewer, refuse to spew. Refuse. Refuse to handle your anger in ways that you always have. Refuse to allow your anger to handle you. Instead, commit to handling your anger in this new and better way. Pay attention to the check engine light of your soul and commit to walking in this kingdom way. Identify the root. Listen to your self-talk. Invite Jesus into the moment. Go and be reconciled and continue to commit to this new and better way of dealing with our anger. Friends, can I suggest, can I plead? Let's be done. Let's be done with our unprocessed anger, killing us, 
our walks with God and our relationships with others. Let's commit this area of our lives to the Lord in its entirety.